we got a lot of no's from a lot of VCs. The thing that we hung to was that while investors were saying no, all of our potential customers couldn't stop wanting to talk about this topic. I think I, I went almost 18 months where not a single benefits leader, not a single HR leader, not a single you know CHRO or chief people officer said no to a meeting. Welcome to Sit Down Startup Founder Podcast, where we interview top founders on all things growth, retention, expansion. It's our goal to help you learn from the best by hearing exactly what they did so you can apply those similar approaches to your seed and Series A company. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, former founder in Silicon Valley VC. I currently manage VC and startup partnerships at Zendesk for Startups here in Silicon Valley. Zendesk for Startups offers six months free for all things Zendesk for all qualified high growth companies. This week, I had the pleasure of interviewing Tammy Sun, the founder of Carrot Fertility. They have over 300 employees and have raised over $114 million from top firms like CRV, Tiger Global, Precursor Ventures, and Backstage Capital, just to name a few. Three biggest learnings, they got a lot of no's from VCs in the beginning, but their prospects kept saying yes. Hopefully, this is a word for founders out there that are getting discouraged. Keep your eye on the prospect. They should always be your North Star. The VCs will obviously follow. The best CEOs focus on knowing their market inside and out. And specifically, she said, knowing what's changing and what will never change. Finally, she talked about going to medical conference and reading medical journals and understanding all the different business models for all the key stakeholders in the industry. It's a great episode. You're going to learn a lot. Shout out to our partner, Founders Club. They're a benefits card with a community of over 100,000 entrepreneurs and business executives. Check them out. Tammy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for your time. I'm really excited to hear about your early days founding Carrot Fertility, just the growth that you've had. But if we first, the, my favorite question to start out with is, when did you found the company and was it doing the same thing that it's doing now? Hi, Adam. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I am a big fan of this podcast. So thanks for having me as a guest. Let's see. I mean, we did YC in 2017, and that was sort of around the time when we first started. And really surprisingly, there have been a lot of changes over the past several years in terms of the growth of the company, the, the product, but, but the core of our mission and the core of our what the product does has largely stayed the same in terms of its goals. Carrot was built to serve employers and health plans, deliver custom, personalized fertility benefits to all people, regardless of their age or their race or their sexual orientation or gender or income or geography. And there've been a lot of twists and turns along the way in terms of developing the product and serving our customers, but that's always been the primary uh, goal and, and the mission behind it, which is fertility care for all people. In this country, whether you like it or not, whether you agree or, or you disagree, um, more than half of all Americans get their healthcare benefits through their jobs. And so we knew early on, we made an early bet that if you want fertility healthcare to be a first-class citizen in the healthcare stack as a fundamental part of human healthcare, you had to figure out a way to serve the distributors of healthcare in this country, which are employers. And so that's really what we've done. And we, we haven't deviated much from that core pursuit. 
That is really cool to hear. That is a commonality that I'm noticing the more founders that I talk to. And right now the average valuation of a company that's been on this podcast is 2.8 billion. So it's really interesting that I think we hear a lot about pivoting in the world, but there's so many people who are haven't pivoted. And it's just like, this is our mission. This is what we're doing. Maybe we slightly have to adjust the solution, but the mission is not pivoting. Yeah, that's right. I love it. Well, how big are you now just for anyone who doesn't know? Oh, um, well, we have, you know, about 300 employees across all almost 40 states in every region of the country. We have a global team um, outside of the U.S. as well. I'm here calling in from Bentonville, Arkansas, And today we serve nearly a million employees and we call them members and have just under 400 customers. Congrats. Let's now dive into just some of those early growth days. One of the, maybe a story that comes to mind around the first hockey stick growth that you experience to serving those a million employees that we can kind of pull apart and just learn for for a lot of our listeners who are pre-seed C's and series A companies. Early days around that sort of pre-seed seed timeframe, the world was much different. And the venture capital market, the financing markets were also much different in terms of how they think about fertility benefits and fertility health care than they are today. At the time, there was a conventional wisdom that fertility and fertility benefits would never cross the chasm because it was something that only a niche group of people would ever really want. And we know now that fertility is a fundamental part of how all, almost all human beings think about and manage their healthcare and their lives. And that's now sort of reflected in the growth of the market. But in those early days, that was less clear. And we got a lot of no's from a lot of VCs, a lot of no's. Um, The thing that we really hung on to was that while investors were saying no, all of our potential customers and and HR leaders and benefit leaders couldn't stop wanting to talk about this topic. I think I, I went almost 18 months where not a single benefits leader, not a single HR leader, not a single CHRO or chief people officer said no to a meeting. Now, not everybody bought our product. Not everybody became a customer, but people wanted to talk about this. They wanted to tell us that somebody had just walked into their office and said they had spent hours on the phone wrangling insurance about unlocking this benefit because their same-sex partner and them didn't have an infertility diagnosis. There were just so many things that people wanted to tell us. And so you know, we knew that as customers and prospective customers were saying yes, eventually the financing would follow. But you have to really understand that your customers are the most important thing. 100%. And it's usually, sometimes it can be the other way around, but it does seem more rare. This seems like an extreme situation from what I've heard and just the amount of no's that you got and the persistence that you kept going. Were there any, was there anything you could speak to around just like having the confidence to continue? Because I know like just your role that you had at Evernote, you had a lot of opportunity in the market to go do something else, but you chose to keep going even before you got that funding. I mean, I think for a lot of the listeners who might be first-time founders, and I'm a first-time founder, I think one of the things that I wasn't really prepared for, probably naively so, was particularly for people who might have a, a career where they're 
um, they typically are achievers, right? They, they do well and they, they perform well. When you get into sort of this type of business, when you're a founder and you get into this type of arena, nobody really prepares you for the level of rejection that is about to come through at a velocity that you may not be prepared for. And so I, I certainly wasn't, wasn't really prepared for that. And, uh, it took a lot of, um, you know, developing and a mindful sense of, you know, developing a sense of resilience and a core connection to my mission in life that really kind of got me through it. I mean, today I'm, I'm like Teflon, you can't, there's not a note that could, that could disturb me or, or derail me, but, but in those early days, and I think in particular for maybe first time founders or founders who are listening to this podcast that are much earlier and, and having maybe a little bit of a difficult time, I think to just the earlier point, following the voice of your customer will, will get you through. Uh, are there any other like specific tactics that, that you would suggest if you're sitting across the table from a founder saying like, Hey, you're going to get a lot of those. And I'm sure you know that, but one, the volume's coming here, and, but two, here's some specific things that you could do to really help you prepare yourself for that. Cause I know that's tough. I've, I've been there. I lived it in it. There's something, there's just something so painful about people just saying no to your baby, <laughs> which yeah. is like your whole world. Exactly. And I, I think there's a couple things you can do that, that would be helpful. I think the first is, you know, to understand your category better than anybody else. I mean, better than anybody in the world. You have to understand it from every angle, from upside down, inside out at a 40 degree. You have to really, really know it and understand the business model that you're building within that category as it's changing and developing every day. Because in the fertility space, at least it's extremely dynamic. So like understand what things are changing and understand what are the things that will never change. So for example, you know, even over the past several years, there've been a lot of changes in the world as a result of the pandemic. One thing that hasn't changed and one thing that really isn't on the horizon to change is that people get their healthcare through their jobs. And in fact, like that has remained consistently true and that will be true for many, many years to come. Again, you can agree or disagree. So really know your space, know your category, know your issues. I think at a human level, being a founder is, it's obviously hard, but I would over-index, you know, really taking care of yourself and understanding that sleep matters. Um, the things that you eat matter. And recovery is as much a part of performance as sprinting. It's okay to over-rotate and there will definitely be moments where you're very much in an over-rotated position towards sprinting, but building these companies that you really, you know, are, are intending to be iconic and endurable and long-term companies, these are very long journeys. And so taking care of yourself from the get-go will get you much farther. I used to run track in high school and I, my coach always said stress plus rest equals yes. progress. Yep, exactly. I think people sometimes forget about the rest part. <laughs> Absolutely. Cause I think we celebrate what the Elon Musk's of the world, you know, claim about how much they sleep. And I, I would love to audit that yeah. <laughs> but because I just, it doesn't seem like you can be as sharp. And if the whole point of being a founder is it's not just doing a bunch of things, it's being really smart about decision-making. And yep. how can you do that when you're tired? Yep. Well, you talked about sourcing just information about your category and just knowing about it better than anyone else in the world. Uh, two questions on that one specifically, like what percentage of your time do you spend just making sure that you understand the market? And then two, what kind of things are you doing? 
maybe reading publications, talking to customers, but if anything else you could give founders to just make sure that they're doing that and doing it at the right percentage? Oh, it's so hard, but I would say, you know, in the earlier days, I was probably spending a lot more time taking advantage of a beginner's mind. So I work in healthcare, we work in healthcare, we work in benefits and employer benefits. And so in the early days, I was the CEO, but I was not a doctor. I was not an ERISA lawyer. I was not a designer and engineer. I was not a lot of things. And the only way you can rally a team of other experts to come and help you build this company is really understanding the whole picture better than any specific, more, more narrow lens. And so I, I sort of curated an education for myself by doing everything from spending a lot of time reading the medical journals and the scholarly articles. I remember there was one year I was at a big fertility medical conference. I was the only non-doctor there. I had bought a pass and showed up and was sitting in various panels and really wanted to understand sort of where is the science of fertility technology today? What is on the horizon? What's three years out? What's five years out? What's 10 years out? Um, but then also moved from there into really examining and understanding business models. What, are the, what do the clinics look like? What are the economics of those clinics? How do they scale? What have they done well? What haven't they done well? And what are some frontier technologies that could potentially upend that business and how far out are they? My shift and my focus moved as the company evolved. And certainly in the go-to-market motion, you know, there was a lot more focus on commercialization and customers and, and pricing and things like that. But I think you know, as a founder, you typically will have a sense of what the right calibration is at a particular moment in the company's growth. Absolutely. It sounds like you're going to this, the best quality information, like a medical journal That's right. to understand the, the vision, the trend. I think a lot of founders are like, yeah, I want to do that. I, I know I need to do that. Prioritizing doing that when you're getting hit in the face with a lot of things. Is that like a Sunday afternoon read or oh, is gosh. this like a... <laughs> it is. It's a Sunday afternoon read. It's a bedtime reading, can't sleep, 3 a.m. reading. And I think you have to carve out time for the processing of the information as well. So I do that over long walks. I walk a lot. I walk and talk a lot. And frankly, as it wasn't really just reading in, in terms of self-service, but like a lot of people were very generous to me along the way. I would call world experts and doctors who had who were very busy and I would ask them to talk to me and they would. And so some of it is just asking. If there's somebody you want to talk to, ask them. Maybe they'll say yes. So again, there was a lot of generosity in the early days in terms of folks who would talk to me. And so I spent a lot of time doing that as well. My, my focus began to shift to talking to customers, really applying the insights from what that sort of education period yielded, and then applying it to how we could serve our customers and our members. And so it shifted pretty dramatically. That's interesting. What was the duration of that education period? Because as a founder, I think I had analysis paralysis at one point. I had one company and learned a lot from it. And then I was going to do a second one and just started in research mode. And that lasted about 13 months. And I've always looked back like, man, it, that company ended up not succeeding. But I always look back like, should I have just started sooner? We, we talked to like 600 people during 13 months. It was a lot of conversations, but we didn't actually put a product out there. So I'm just kind of getting a benchmark on how long your education time was. You know, it was probably eight months. I want to say it was it was six to eight months. And I didn't know at the time that there were such things as EIRs, for example. I was just 
plugging away on my own on a laptop and just plugging away. And that lasted about eight months. And we, we actually tried a bunch of different things that were not B2B. We tried a few direct-to-consumer tasks as well, and ultimately did not choose those, obviously. That's good to hear as well. I love that you figured that out in the education time, not what you had spent all this time building the product and the go-to-market. Well, so you talked about reaching out to your prospects or future customers. Mm -hmm. What was that specifically like? Was that mutual introductions just that were swelling out from your education period? Or was it just cold outreach email or something else? Yeah, I get a lot of founders asking me this question, especially these days, because employer sales sort of category has grown quite a bit. How do you get your first 10, 20, 50 customers? How did you do it? Did you build systems? Did you have SDRs? What kind of marketing? What's the right marketing spend? How much do I invest in paid versus earned and things like that? And I think the truth is, is that at that stage, there is no formula. There's not, it's not a system. It, it, that zero to one for me and for us was cold outreach on LinkedIn, mutual dozens of mutual intros that we would just chase down. The willingness to go see somebody in person, you know, when, when that was still a thing, over-indexing on, on going to see somebody in person for the meeting, going the extra mile, fighting for every inch. That zero to one phase, at least for a business like this, is very founder-driven, right? It's very driven by sort of that early team and just manually putting it together. It's sometimes people are disappointed because there's not a much more formulaic thing or playbook that you can impart as wisdom and then somebody can follow that. But truly it's just knowing your target customer, your pool, and then driving everything towards that to unlock as, as much as quickly as possible. It's painful, right? Like we want that system, but if it was, then everyone would create a successful company hundred percent of the time. Yeah. I completely get that. We tried multiple different processes like jobs to be done, which is a framework around understanding the ultimate job of the customer or the prospect, and then trying to find ways to take out steps, remove friction, that kind of stuff. But even then there's no perfect formula. So I, I'm yeah. glad that confirmation is not just from my experience. And what worked for us may not work for you or another person listening to this podcast because your product may be fundamentally different in a specific way. And, you know, you just have to sharply understand where those edges are and accommodate. Absolutely. Well, the final question is around your superpower. So what would you say your superpower was like in the zero to one stage of the business? And what would you say is it now? You know, I don't think it's changed all that much. I'm average and below average at most things. But the one thing that I think I spike at probably better at than maybe anybody else in the world is I understand the trends that are driving my sector and my category, like fundamentally understand where those points are, where those winds are blowing. It's almost like you can feel it as if it's a separate limb of your body. Like, you know, it at that level. And that's the only thing I'm particularly good at. I love that. First of all, the humility is unreal. So I, I'm sure there's a lot of other things, but it's just being the best in the world at that. And I'm sure that helps you make decisions on how you spend your time. Uh, mm -hmm. Is there any like percentage of time that you could say that you're analyzing trends? It's a constant processing. And, you know, I think at this stage and certainly in the state, you know, in, in many phases before, and, and probably will continue the superpower that I, that I hope to have 
and continue to develop. I mean, the thing that I'm okay and pretty, pretty good at is, is hiring. I think that we have a stellar team at Carrot and I'm super proud of them. I think the hiring culture is very strong and we wouldn't be where we are with, without them. I think if there's one skill, if you're not organically good at it, or if you don't seem to have a, a superpower, like get good at that um, because that is the most important thing. Mm. That was great. Cammy. thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. This is amazing. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you want to learn more about Zendesk for Startups and our free offer, please check out our website at zendesk.com slash startups.